Hello, I'm Verity Sharp and a warm welcome to another Climate Crisis Conversation. I'm increasingly hearing about the need to change the narrative in pretty much every single walk of life at the moment. We need inspirational stories to tell that are going to give us a transformed, positive vision of the world that we'd really like to be living in. So this climate crisis conversation is along those lines. It's storyteller and performance artist Joe Blake talking to art therapist and fellow storyteller Sarah Deco about how myths have the potential to empower us and steer us away from the destructive narratives of endless growth and separation from nature, which are currently driving us further and further into this state of climate emergency. So it's a really thought-provoking conversation, offering us ways to rethink and reconnect. Enjoy. So, Joe, um, let's talk about myth. Mm-hmm. Should we start by saying how we understand myth? Yeah. In the way that we're talking about it. Yeah. Because uh, there are still some people who think climate change is a myth. Yeah. A myth as in something that's not true. So I remember you saying something which I uh, I thought was really interesting, was that myth, or te- the telling of myths, is a way of using enchantment mm. in order to disenchant, mm-hmm. or rather to, to make the truth evident. Mm. And uh, I think that's a very interesting idea of... Mm what myth is for, what the telling of myths is for. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a lovely quote by Robert Bringhurst, poet Robert Bringhurst, who wrote a book um, called A Story as Sharp as a Knife. And in that he, he says, myth is neither fact nor fiction, but a species of truth that precedes that distinction. Ah, oh, yeah, that's nice, yeah. And I love that because mm. I, love, I love this idea of myth being its own kind of species of truth. And that somehow, in our very kind of modern culture, we've somehow found ourselves down this, you know, we walk down this road where we make these really clear distinctions between that which is true and that which is not true, or that which is fact and therefore measurable, and that which is fiction and therefore made up and kind of worthless. But this idea of myth being this whole other species of truth that is precedes that distinction between those two polarities, for me speaks to a time when the inherent connections between things um, was a living reality for people. So this idea that th- there being actually a connection between, you know, or, or there being this connection between what we, what we imagine is possible, what we see in our mind's eye and what we tell with our words, that have an impact and relation to the outer world. So it's not like the outer world is this static thing, which just is a factual thing, which is unchanging, and that we just um, react to that outer world. But this idea that what, whatever it is that we're telling and imagining is impacting the outer world as well. So that it's a reciprocal relationship, a, a process. So for me, myth, myth, what we think of as being myth and the great myths that we have come from that time of this kind of supreme connectivity where Mm. people recognise the deep connections between the human, the living world, the imaginative function, the power of the spoken Mm. word. 
And of course, it's still true, of course, that the narratives shape the way we behave and they shape the world that we live in. But mm. we're, it seems, I think, we're much less aware of how this actually happens. We're much less aware of, we get caught up in it in a kind of mm. passive way rather than understanding that we are all part of that process and that the way we behave and the things we say um, affect the way the world is. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I've always thought that if we were more clued in, if we, if we understood more about the nature of myth and about, about story, mm. I can't remember who says, said mm. it, but there's a quote that we, we're caught somewhere between a kind of hyper-rationality mm. where we, we assume that everything is either true or false mm. in a very kind of simple sort of way or we kind of get thrown into kind of complete falsehood and mm. irrationality mm. like the sort of conspiracy theories have mm. emerged recently mm. that if we un if we engage more with myth and story mm. we would be able to have a more kind of nuanced and subtle sense of that space in between mm. of the kind of different layers of reality yeah. and then therefore less swept along mm. by um the more negative narratives mm. that seem to be driving things at mm. the moment. I mean, this is one of the things that I think really, you know, really bothers me a lot about this, the situation that we're in as human beings, um, is because there's this idea that somehow our fate is already predestined. Like, there's this idea that, well, you know, we are the way we are, and there's been this technological progress, and we're kind of heading down this path and that's just how it is that's how it's going and and you can see right now in the world this split be occurring between those people that have this kind of almost like this kind of disempowered sort of fatalistic idea that that's just how it is and other people starting to kind of go well hold on a second that's that's a bit of that's a story that we've mm. constructed i mean you know, the great civilizations and the great cultures and political systems and mm. law systems, I mean, they're all narratives. Mm. There's stories that, that if enough people believe in, they impact on the material world. But, but really, there's very few kind of natural laws in the world which are outside of story. I mean, you know, the sun rises and the sun sets and the wind blows and you know, there is day and night and those things are unchanging, but pretty much everything else is a story and th that we have somehow created and and the story that we've been living has only one kind of ending. Mm. And so it's the story that we need to change. Yeah. And uh, I'm very interested in another thing that you said mm. about us being being orphaned tradition mm. because I think there's something significant in a sense of us being disconnected from the land from mm. a, a continuous culture that goes back mm. and I'm just sort of I, I'd be really interested to hear what you have to say about how we can heal that disconnection mm. and how what story has to do with that mm part of something that's got some sort of history and some depth and some layering and that we can also carry forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we can totally heal the disconnect 
but I think if if there's any way in for, for me if there's a way in it, it starts with the body so the idea and the experience that the body itself carries a memory of story and of what it feels to be connected so you know I, I really feel that like deep within our within the bones of us and within our cells we carry a memory of not just the deep past but all the layers of history that have that have gone before us so and I think particularly as women it doesn't take long of going into the body or giving space to your body really feeling into it to hit hit on these layers which feel um beyond your personal life experience but somehow feel like you're carrying in you something quite ancestral or yeah something from before your personal lifetime so and there's something there about in a way acknowledging the grief of what has been lost allowing yourself to feel the emotion of that disconnect mm. and of the lack of oral culture the lack of belonging that a lot of people feel mm. you know we don't have our stories we don't mm. know our songs we don't know our dances mm. and in a way rather than just sticking your fingers in your ear and going la 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 right mm. onwards 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 mm. it's like allowing yourself to experience the grief of that and mm. going actually this is not about me grieving over something in my personal life this is about me grieving over some big cultural loss mm that has accumulated over the years. And I think that allowing yourself to feel that grief and recognising that that is a part of our contemporary situation, that feels like part of the healing of the disconnect. And then, in a way, once you notice that and acknowledge that there's that fracture that will never quite heal, what happens if from that place then I meet stories and I meet myths and I acknowledge them and I recognise I can never quite know the world that they came from, but I can maybe know something of it, mm. but from this place of a very, in a way, fractured contemporary place. But it needs to be acknowledged that that is where I'm coming from with it. Yeah. And that, you know, that connects so much with uh, a lot of thinking about trauma and about the healing of, of trauma. And I do wonder whether one of the difficulties we've had in really adjusting to the new information that we've now got about the damage that we're doing to the environment is because we collectively are traumatized mm. that we that the disconnect over two three generations has left us in a very bad way psychologically in terms of healing from trauma and one of the consequences of that is that we disengage and we become numb mm. um so i you know i think that's very interesting what you say about getting back in touch with the body and re-experiencing things through the body which may as you mm. say uh, face us with a lot of grief and pain initially mm. but do allow the possibility of then being able to create some kind of psychological container within us which can actually uh, acknowledge the truth mm. and from there begin to act. Mm. 
So how might we kind of connect that more directly mm. with, I mean, I've just sort of said something about mm. climate change and how mm. it connects, but I think there's other ways in which the retelling of myth mm. is significant now mm. with this particular huge, massive, mm. almost unthinkable yeah. situation that mm. we have mm. in relation to the environment and climate change. Mm. And it seems to me that myth is something that has emerged through our history as a way of talking about things that are overwhelming. Yeah. So there's there's something about allowing the, the myth in a way to to kind of sit in the body and, and, and then kind of find its own voice through us. Um, I don't know, I think of it as a bit like, you know, the myth is a bit like the mycelium that is connects up plants or trees in a forest mm. and that each of us, as each of us pops up with our version of the story, mm. we kind of represent, we kind of speak a bit of it, but yeah. actually the myth's much bigger mm. than that. Yeah. And I'm wondering about your experience of mm. working with myth and mm. how that's felt for you mm. and whether it's connected up different threads of the personal and the collective mm. and historical and the future. Mm. Yeah, I mean, my, you know, my experience of working with myth is more that it works with me. So there's a sense that... It, it's really an activating force. Like, that's the way I, I, I feel with myth, is that it's so not the experience of working with a kind of sort of dormant literary narrative. You know, mm. it's not just some words on a paper mm. or some words spoken. There's this feeling that myth is really very much alive. It's some kind of activating force. And, and because it is mysterious... You know, one cannot name much of that process. You know, you can only really point to the experience. And myth itself is pointing to an experience. You know, I just feel like myth is is a whole series of of images and symbols and um, riddles which point towards an experience. Mm. And, and it's an experience which can never fully be named and known, but, but one experience is nevertheless. And so, yeah, so my experience is myth has its own time scale, so it works, it somehow works on you. And maybe there can be a story, a mythic story which you've known for years, but then somehow seems to wake up in your life and you wake up to it. And then it's a dialogical process of, it, you know, me probably consciously working on it. So maybe I make a performance with that myth and I think about how I compose that myth. But at the same time, it is activating something in me. So things in life start to shift and change on account mm. of having a relationship with that myth. And it has its own, yeah, it has its own time scale. So maybe it stays current and alive in my life for a certain while until it it somehow fades away and then at some point another story, another myth will wake up um, and I will wake up to it. I think for a long time I didn't acknowledge that as being a thing because it, it's quite an unusual thing. <laughs> as in, like, in contemporary culture we don't really acknowledge that as a, a kind of viable experience. 
So it took me a long while to wake up to the fact that that is a thing that happens. And so it's a bit like the, the bit like seeds. I, I mean, the image yeah. that comes to me is they're a bit like seeds that are just around, and they when they find the fertile soil, yeah. when when you reach a point in your life or uh, the culture has reached a point that the seeds find fertile ground and they then they flourish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's that, you know, that Levi Strauss quote of myth thinks itself in man unbeknownst to man. Mm. But, so there's that idea that there's always myth operating, but perhaps what's happened now in terms of my practice as a performance maker and storyteller is that I've woken up to the fact that myth is at work. And rather than that just being a thing which is operating, it's about harnessing that and recognising that that is part of the creative process. And um, But this is very mysterious, really. Is yeah. what, what are these things, these myths? I mean, I think of them sometimes as a bit like the sort of stem cells of our culture, mm. you know, that they, they're, 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 they're the kind of little condensed nugget mm. <laughs> from which the myths of our culture grow mm. I mean if that's the case then are we you know if our, our culture being as it seems to be on a trajectory towards complete destruction mm. have we allowed the seed of a certain certain kinds of myth to grow and flourish mm. at the expense of something I mean yeah. and then I also sort of think perhaps it's that we've got a kind of a monoculture mm. of myth of narrative that we've allowed one narrative to flourish when actually what we need for a healthy culture is um, a diversity yeah. of story of myth I mean I think certainly you know the, the the monotheistic religions of you know Christianity and Islam and Judaism you know the mythology and that is within those that has been so powerfully has so powerfully structured much of the world in terms of our perceptions of um, somehow an, a negating of the body of the or seeing the earth as a resource for man as opposed to a living thing that has its own worth and kind of consciousness and and you know livingness you know that those those mythologies have arisen to the detriment of many others that and also i think this this idea of good and bad and black and white and these kind of very clear distinctions between your in or your out mm. well it's also in the enlightenment is yeah. which is another whole mythic structure really yeah science um, yeah, uh, yeah 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 science yeah. Um, the point of view of that particular kind of philosophy mm. Which leads me then to thinking about, you know, is there a way of kind of rewilding our mm. ourselves psychologically or reconnecting with some kind of an earlier psychological perception of the world, mm. more perhaps more indigenous? Mm. Uh, or is that lost? Mm. I mean, do we have to no. then, do we have to go forward into something else, or do we look back? I mean, how do we? try and hold the tension between the two mm. I guess in some way yeah I think we go forward into something else but in order to help us to go forward we have to look way 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 back as mm. well because I think there was something way 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 back that is really useful for us to remember now 
Um, but it won't be the same as that. We'll never be back in that place. Mm. So, but there's something of that which we need to remember, reconstruct, and or not reconstruct, but re-enliven in ourselves now. Because my feeling is that it's not dead, it's just deeply buried. And that given the right conditions, any human being can reconnect to that feeling of the reciprocal, um, the kind of the deep reciprocity between the human being and the living earth. Mm. And I, I just think it's, it, it's given the right conditions. We begin to experience that again. So I have this feeling now, you know, I mean, because of where I live, because I live outside of London, because I live in a rural area and um, I can feel quite disconnected from some of the more kind of bigger scale climate change activism which is going on which is amazing and and, I'm in full support of but I also feel that part of the movement forward is also on this deeply personal scale that it's it's us as individuals making changes to our own psychology in terms of the way we see the world live in the world and the ripple effect of that you know so no I don't I don't think it's lost I just think it's really deeply buried so where I mean I'm just thinking about the role actually of storytelling particularly oral Mm. storytelling in Mm. that process Mm. I mean I certainly feel there's something for me about the experience of telling stories which creates a kind of capacity for a certain kind of empathy because you have to try and see the world through the eyes of the characters in your story which might Mm. be animals, gods, yeah. plants, yeah. human beings of different kinds. So it kind of it kind of exercises a certain muscle of the imagination, I think, which allows you to see things from many different perspectives, which seems to me to be that is part yeah. of that. Well, it's also, I think, what you said earlier about this idea of that myths somehow speak of that which is overwhelming and yeah. I think it's the scale of myths which yeah. which is so useful at this point it's it's when you meet these beings who go on these epic journeys and you know go down into the underworld and lose everything and then come back up again and these you know massive transformations and these metamorphoses that you, that you see in myths you know between the shape-shifting between humans and animals and plants and um you know for me the the epicness of the images really speak the experience of existence it's like you know we we on an inner level that's how we experience life somehow you know when 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 a close person to us dies or when we get divorced or when we have a baby you know we go through these big things it's like they're not just what they appear to be on the surface and metaphor is yeah. is usually the the most appropriate language for these yeah. things, isn't it? Poetry and yeah. um, story and can uh, speak about these things in ways that normal language can't. Yeah, and I think maybe we've we've lost touch with the, how incredibly important it is the language and metaphor of mm. symbol. Mm. I mean, obviously, the unconscious speaks to us in dreams mm. in that language. Mm. But um, I'm not sure how well-versed our education system Mm-mm. helps people become in that. You know? No. And it's, it's this, you know, it's back, it's back to this thing of, you know, valuing one way of 
one type of knowing over over another so mm. you know i think one of the big reclamations which is going on and that needs to happen is this reclaiming of the metaphorical the mythic imagination and the which also for me is about reclaiming the body as well because there's that sense that this thing that we call intuition or this thing this kind of other way of knowing for me is a very bodily knowing so it's mm. there's some level at which you know something which your rational mind may not be wanting to accept or, or know so so for instance you know so at the moment there can be that sense of um people pushing away something to do with you know the the situation we're in uh, on a on in terms of climate change thinking but it's you know it's a, it's a big problem that's out there in culture mm -hmm. why would i feel yeah. something about that so mm. there's a kind of pushing away of that so what is that that's wanting to come through well there's emotion but there's also some other sense of knowing something it, it knows something of this situation that needs to be said and addressed and and so yeah so I guess the more people that acknowledge that that level of reality the more that just becomes normal and I think yeah. that is it this, is this feeling like the more we learn to listen to that it, rather than uh rather than silence it yeah and numb it and just to recognize that that is part of our living reality like metaphor yeah. is part of our living reality if you you know it's it's not this other kind of crazy mumbo jumbo thing it's like it's a it's it's we have this capacity as human beings to process reality through these metaphoric channels and myth is part of all of that for me it's you know it's we we understand it even if we can't rationalize it there's an understanding and there's a knowing and we really really need more of that right now yeah we do yeah maybe that's a good place to okay. to stop yeah Change the narrative, feel the power, an idea beautifully explored by storyteller Joe Blake, who works in theatre and dance, talking with Sarah Deco, who's an art therapist, group analyst, and also a storyteller, and also long associates of the Climate Psychology Alliance. Climate Crisis Conversations is a podcast produced by the Climate Psychology Alliance in association with Parity Audio. I'm Verity Sharp. Join us again soon for more. <laughs>